All right, well, you can take your Bibles this morning. Turn with me to the book of Romans. And as you go there, just a quick reminder, next Sunday in our Bible class, in Sunday service, we'll have an opportunity to hear from missionary Chris Bruno. I know that will be a blessing. I think he's going to be preaching from Revelation chapter 3. That's what he told me yesterday. So. But for today... I am looking forward to getting back into Romans chapter 6. Now last week, you might remember from that, that we worked through a few basic questions about Romans 6 to try to get our minds around the big picture of what's going on in the chapter. And so to review, I want to just kind of run back through some of those questions. All right? So especially if you're at a community group, you've maybe heard some of these. All right? So what is Romans 6 about? In one word, Romans 6 is about sin. Okay? Perhaps you remember that. And also, maybe you remember that sin in Romans 6 isn't simply something bad we do. Instead, Paul does something very specific with the word sin. Actually, pretty much through all of Romans 5, 6, 7, and 8, he does this. Do you remember what he does? He personifies sin. Which is to say, he, he personifying is like talking about something that's not alive, as though it is, or, or maybe giving like human characteristics or descriptions to something that's not human. And starting at the end of Romans 5, and for like the next four chapters, Paul begins to picture sin as an evil, brutal king that rules and reigns over all of those who are still connected to Adam, the first man. As Paul says, sin reigned in death over all of us. That is is our past. That is actually something we all share in common. So in one word, Romans 6 is about sin. But what about in five words? Say Romans 6 is about the Christian's relationship to sin. In, In the past, sin reigned over all of us. But what about now? What about for those who are no longer in Adam, but who are now in Christ? So second question for review, what is the Christian's relationship to sin? Romans 6 is the most important chapter in the whole Bible on this question. And the nice thing is that Paul answers this question right away in the first two verses And then he just keeps beating the same drum throughout the whole chapter in case you missed it. So look at Romans 6, verse 1. Remember this question, he says, What shall we say then? Are we supposed to continue in sin so that grace may abound? He says, May it never be. How can we who died to sin still live in it? We ask Paul, what is the Christian's relationship to sin? Paul says, Christians have died to sin. This is the driving idea of all of Romans 6. All Christians have died to sin. So then last review question, what does that mean? What does it mean that we have died to sin? For example, does this mean that we are now, as Christians, like just unaffected by sin's temptations for the rest of our days? Is that what being dead to sin means? That we're somehow, you know, just like above and beyond the, the, the lowly people, you know, who still are enticed by sin. Uh, that would be nice, right? But, but no, that is not my life or yours. And this is definitely not Paul's 
picture of the Christian experience. But at the same time, Paul certainly means something by saying we've died to sin, but what exactly does he have in mind? And this is where you have to come back to that initial idea of how Paul pictures sin throughout this whole section. Sin is a brutal king or a horrible slave master. And that's the key to understanding what Paul has in mind when he says we've died to sin. What Paul means, or what he's announcing, is that sin's horrible reign over you is over. Sin's authority over us has been broken through Christ. And perhaps the the best example of that in Romans 6, though it is throughout the whole chapter, is in Romans 6, verse 6. So just look at that. Paul says, we know that our old self, who we were, was crucified with Christ in order that the body of sin, or maybe even like sin's control over the body, might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin for the one who has died has been set free from sin. We've been set free in Christ from our former master. Sin is no longer in charge, no longer calling the shots. We're no longer under sin because Christ hasn't just paid sin's penalty. Christ has set us free from sin's dominion. This certainly doesn't mean that our old master will no longer have any influence on us or no longer appeal to us. Now, you see, we've, we've listened to the voice of that old master for a long time. And that old master knows us well, far better than we would wish. And not just that, that old master knows our tendencies, knows our weaknesses, loves to try to exploit them, get us in situations where, can, where the old master can call out to us with a nice voice, calling us to maybe just come back, even just for a little while, do a little more work in my field. Being dead to sin does not mean sin will lose its appeal or its allure, but what it does mean is sin doesn't own us anymore. We're no longer under the reign of sin. We've been transferred to a new realm with a better king. And this is really, really good news. This is the good news of this whole chapter. This is gospel news. Now, that's where we've been. This is the heart of Romans 6. And now what I want to do today is I want to pick up in the middle of the chapter. And I want us to to think more carefully about what we are supposed to do with this news. Okay? So let's pick up Romans chapter 6, verse 11. Where I think Paul kind of gives us the, the first, like, response to this news. Romans 6, verse 11. And we'll work from here to the end of the chapter. So he says, so, so you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. What's the first thing we need to do with the good news? That Christ has set us free, not just from sin's penalty, but from its dominion. The first thing you have to do, Paul would say, is you need to believe this. Like you need to believe this is actually true. I need to believe this is actually true of you. You see, it it is one thing to hear this. It is another thing to believe it. And it is one thing to believe this in general. And it is another thing to believe this is true of you. 
And, and brothers and sisters, this, this is not something we will always feel. We won't always feel like this is true of us. Especially if we've made the same sinful choices or given in to the same sinful patterns over and over again. We will not feel dead to sin. But this is something we must hear and it is something we must believe. We have died with Christ to sin. Sin does not own you anymore. And this is where there's a lot of wisdom to that common encouragement where people say, you, you ought to preach the gospel to yourself every day. Right? We must remind ourselves regularly, if not every day, of the good news of what Christ has actually done for us, what he's accomplished in his death, and of who we are now in him. I am not who I once was. I am not sin's slave anymore. I died with Christ to sin, and I am now alive to God in Christ. But notice Paul doesn't stop with knowing what Christ has done or, or even with believing this is true. Take a look at verse 12. He says, So let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. If sin's not our master any longer, if sin doesn't own us anymore, Paul says, then don't let sin Reign even another day. To make you obey its passions. We need to know what's true of us. We need to believe it. But Paul goes further than that. He says we need to actually act on what we believe. We need to obey. We need to respond by actually saying no to sin's advances tomorrow. Let not sin therefore reign he says, in your mortal body, to make you obey its passions. And he doesn't even stop there because verse 13 just kind of flushes out more of what that might look like. Verse 13 says, and, and do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. You can see it's obvious from the way Paul's talking that Paul does not think this is going to be easy. Being dead to sin doesn't mean we get to enter a passivity program where we can just sit back and enjoy the ride to holiness. The Christian life is one of continued faith in Christ and of fighting sin. And here in in, in verse 13, Paul gets really direct. He says, do not present your members to sin anymore. Now, what does he mean by our members? Put simply, Paul is talking about the members of our bodies, okay? Like the parts of our mortal bodies. So what's he saying? Sin is no longer our master. Sin does not own this body. You do not belong to sin. So so what? So we cannot go around offering our members the parts of these blood-bought bodies to sin any longer, for sin to do with us whatever sin wants to do. That's what he said. Do not present the parts of your body to sin anymore. As, and, and notice he says, as, as instruments for unrighteousness. 
And by the way, the, the word instruments or, or tools like almost always has to do with warfare. And that is why other translations specifically translate this as weapons. Uh, this is going to be war. And, and sin wants to use you and abuse you. The parts of your body wants to use the parts of your body as weapons for unrighteousness. That's what sin always does. Sin wants to use you for evil, for destruction, to bring death to you and death through you to others. And what is Paul saying? Brothers and sisters, don't offer the members of this body up to sin anymore. Now, instead, do what? He says, rather present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and present your members, the parts of this mortal body, to God to be weapons in his hands for righteousness. God has bought us with the blood of his son. We belong to him, body and soul. And God wants to do great things in you, And through you, God wants to work through you for righteousness. God wants to bring good to you and through you to others. But this isn't going to be easy. This is war. Denying sin and obeying God is a simple idea, but it it will likely be the hardest thing to do every day this week. Just to say no to sin's advances, and to obey God will be the hardest thing you probably have to do all week. But notice the encouragement in verse 14. He says, for sin will have no dominion over you because you're not under the law, but under grace. He finishes this little section with this promise. Sin will not have dominion over you. See, Paul's outlook on the Christian life is optimistic, not pessimistic. I think we, pro- we might need to hear this because I, I often think, in my experience, Christians are like extremely pessimistic about the Christian life. But, but Paul is, is really not. And this, this carries through all his letters. Why? It's because Paul knows the power of the gospel. He knows the power of grace. He knows what Christ being in us through his spirit means for us. So he assures us, sin will not ultimately win this war that you're in. He wants you to know that. He's calling you to obey and to fight, and then he assures you sin is not going to win this war in the end. And it's interesting how he ends in verse 14. You say, why is he so confident of that? You notice what he says? He says, because you are not under the law of Moses, but you're under grace. Christians are not under the law of Moses, which which could tell us what to do, but could not give us the power to do it. Now, Christians are now under grace, where there are still certainly demands placed on us, but where there is power in Christ and through his spirit to actually say no to sin and yes to something better or yes to someone better. Now, because Paul has brought up, you notice in verse 14, he brings up for the first time 
that were not under the law. So then that leads to a question. Then he gets asked by all his Jewish friends. What do you think he would get asked? Look at verse 15. What then? Are we to sin because we are not under the law, but under grace? Paul gets asked this kind of thing a lot. Paul, if Christians are not under the law of Moses, then doesn't that mean that everybody can just do whatever they want to do? I mean, doesn't freedom from the law, this is Paul's view, and we're going to see this more later in, Rome, in the study in Romans, his view is we are freed from the law of Moses. So, so doesn't freedom from the law just give people license to lawlessness? What do you think Paul's answer will be? Of course his answer will be the classic, may it never be, by no means, or the, the old King James, or rather King James would say, God forbid. But let's see what else he has to say. Okay? Paul's got an illustration that he thinks will help you to think about this. Look at verse 16. It says, Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness? I mean, so what's the illustration of? This is going to be an illustration for the rest of the text today. It's about slavery. And what's Paul saying? I mean, just think about a guy who walks up to someone. Like, you're observing this guy. He walks up to someone in the morning, and he offers himself as an obedient slave to that person. And then he does that the next day, and the next day. And every day, you come across this guy, and he's always offering himself up as an obedient slave to this other guy. What would you conclude? Huh, I'm pretty sure this guy is that guy's slave. Like, this is a simple this is a simple idea, right? But think about this. Is, is Paul's view of the Christian life that Christians can just go on sinning and sinning and sinning and sinning? Because after all, we're not under the law of Moses. Say, by no means. And Paul's pointing out, if you live like that, where you offer yourself every day as an obedient slave to sin, and you do that willingly day in and day out, what might that indicate about you? What do you think? Uh, it's at least something to think about. Right? Paul's reminding us that how we live as Christians really does matter. And not just that, that there are really only two paths in life when you start looking at this text closer. Either to live for God or to live for sin. There's, there's not really a third option. And, and, but here's the thing Paul knows. True Christians will not be content to keep offering themselves to sin. If somebody's content with that, they're in serious danger. Because going, that, going down that path always leads to one and only one thing. It always leads to death. Okay. But look at what he says in verse 17. But thanks be to God that you, who once were slaves of sin, have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. And having been set free from sin, you have become slaves of righteousness. Just a point, Paul's not doubtful about the people who are reading this or about their faith because he knows the gospel message, the truth, the teaching about Christ has gotten a hold of their hearts. He knows it's claimed their allegiance. He knows God's done something real in them. That's why he says, thanks be to God 
that even though you used to be like that, I'm confident you won't continue to be like that. Because the teachings got a hold of your heart. God's done something in you. He's convinced the readers have experienced the real thing, heart transformation. And so they're not going to be content to just offer themselves up each day as obedient slaves to sin. But did you also notice in that verse, especially, that Paul starts talking about a second kind of slavery? Like he's been talking about slavery to sin throughout the whole chapter. And now he starts to say, you know what? We've been set free from slavery to sin to become what? Slaves to something else. Now, I think Paul knows this isn't the most flattering, like, illustration. So I think that's why he says what he does in verse 19. See, verse 19 says, listen, I'm, 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 I'm talking in human terms here because of your natural limitations. Okay. I, take, I take that almost as like a slight apology for the illustration. Like, after all, and, and you have to think about this, probably half or more of the Roman believers were slaves. Or had been. Like, this was an incredibly common thing in the first century in the Roman world. And so I can't imagine, like, this was too pleasant to have this be, like, the driving illustration. You guys have been set free to be slaves. So it's kind of like Paul saying, I know you might not like the picture, but I'm going to keep using it anyway. Because he doesn't stop. He just keeps going. So look at verse 19. For just, and I'm going to read the next few verses, and we're just going to think about them together. So verse 19 again, in the middle. For just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. But what fruit were you getting at that time from the things of which you're now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now that you've been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. Now, there's a lot to chew on there. I'm just going to highlight a couple of things. First, did you notice that Paul, Paul more or less challenges us to be just as willing and eager to obey Christ as we used to be to obey sin. Just as we once used to offer ourselves to sin, we were like really faithful. So now we need to offer ourselves as slaves to Christ. I mean, just think back to the energy, the fidelity, your loyalty to sin in days gone by. How much more energy and fidelity and loyalty and loyalty do you want to give to Christ? Second, did you did you did you notice how sin always leads to more sin? It's interesting how he how he says this. We used to be slaves to lawlessness, which would just lead to more and more lawlessness. And that's how sin always works. It always takes you further than you would ever think possible. That's why that's why. Paul is extremely concerned about what we do with sin and that we don't tolerate it, even for a moment. Because in his view, sin always leads to more sin, more and more lawlessness, more and more destruction. But did you also notice that he kind of contrasts that with how presenting yourselves faithfully 
as slaves to Christ will lead you to greater and greater holiness. And I would just say something that, a, a little line that might be helpful for you, is that you know, sin begets sin. And, and I think it's also true that obedience begets obedience. Like the path to Christ-likeness is not actually very complicated. Sanctification, growing in holiness, happens one choice at a time. One rejection of sin at a time. One step of hard obedience to Jesus at a time. Third, did you, did you notice how Paul reminds us in this text of what our life used to be like? And it's not pretty. In verse 20, for example, I, I think maybe Paul's getting a little sarcastic maybe in it. When he thinks about our old lives as slaves to sin, you know, he pauses to think about it. He says, well, you know what? I guess we were free back then. Free from what? From righteousness. <laughs> Those were great days. <laughs> no. In fact, as we think back to days gone by and all the things we did in service to sin, how do we feel about those now? Verse 21. These are the things of which we're now ashamed. It's a sad life in service to sin. It's a life that leads to shame, ultimately to death. And it's a path we all walked. It's a path I, I know I wish I never would have walked. I'm ashamed to think of things I've done. Are you? But lastly, did you, did you notice that those days are over? You're no longer a slave to sin and free from righteousness. You're free from sin and a slave to righteousness. You don't have to live a shameful life full of regrets anymore. And even as we think back to the shameful things we've done, remember you're forgiven. I was thinking of the the songwriter, famous song, one of my favorite verses of any song. It's my sin. Oh, the bliss of this glorious thought. My sin, not in part, but the whole, is nailed to the cross, and, and I, I bear it no more. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, O oh my soul. We belong to God now, and by his grace, we are sowing better seeds, which lead to better fruit, and in the end, give way to eternal life. And that leads into the beautiful last verse of Romans 6, Romans 6, 23. You might know it. For the wages of sin is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. What sin always pays out in the end is death. But don't you love how Paul reminds us of the gospel even in that final phrase? Because he, he doesn't say, for the wages of sin is death, but the wages of God is eternal life. You notice that? Why doesn't he say that? Because Paul knows sin only pays us what we've earned. Sin doesn't pay us a thing other than what we deserve. But God does not pay us what we deserve or what we've earned. God grants us eternal life as a free gift 
in Christ Jesus our Lord. And how do you get the gift? Because it can be yours today. You receive it by faith in Christ. What we've seen today reminds me of uh, the reason I read that scripture from Exodus chapter 10 this morning. I was just thinking about the Israelites. They were all slaves, right, in Egypt. And there was nothing they could do to change that other than basically cry out to God uh, to help them and rescue them. But then God, because of his love, came to their rescue to set them free. But did you notice when we're reading that text, and it's actually throughout all of that section in Exodus, that God kept telling Pharaoh why he wanted to set them free? It's really interesting. God kept saying, let my people go. Why? So that they may serve me. This is the way it's always is in the Bible. This is the same picture Paul's painting in the text. God doesn't set us free from sin so we can do whatever we want. God sets us free from sin so we can serve him. Now as we close, I want us to think about this. What might that look like to put some of this into practice this week? Or perhaps just think, we'll just focus on one thing. What would be a good start to your day tomorrow in light of what we've seen the last two weeks? Now there there could be a lot of answers to this. I'm just going to give like one idea I've been thinking about, okay? Like, what would be a good start to your day, to your week tomorrow? Maybe it'd be to start your day doing something like this. When you wake up, the first thing you do before you look at your phone, preach the gospel to yourself. Remind yourself who Christ is, what Christ has done for you, of who you are now in Christ, Maybe that your name is written in heaven. I'm in Christ. I belong to him. I am not sin's slave. I've died with Christ to sin. I'm alive to God today. And then, maybe pray. And and perhaps pray, like I'm thinking of what we've seen today, maybe pray something like this. Lord, here I am. Mind, soul, body. I belong to you. I am at your service today. Maybe go a little further. Lord, these eyes are yours. You bought them. Help me to see what you see. To see others like you see them. Don't let me set any wicked thing before my eyes. Lord, these These hands are yours. Lord, you bought them. Don't let me use them for evil. But please, Lord, use these as weapons for good. Let me work hard with these hands in a way that honors you so I can take care of my needs and help take care of the needs around me. Lord, these feet are yours. You bought them. Don't let me walk where I shouldn't. Let me walk in the paths you've set before me. Take me wherever you want me to to go because I am here to do your will. And Lord, when temptations come and when sin starts to call out to me, maybe probing into my weaknesses, calling me to work again in its fields, oh Lord, help me to remember who I am. Help me in that moment to say no to sin and to say yes to you. Like, 
maybe that would be a way to get off to a good start this week in light of what we've seen. Let's pray. Father, would you take these, this study of the last two weeks and would you help us? I, I pray you'd help us to think more clearly about who we are now in Christ, about our relationship to sin. I pray that we would walk away encouraged, understanding better the power of the gospel, the joy of being united to Jesus, knowing that Christ lives in us. I pray that you would help us even tomorrow or help us to to not let sin reign. Rather, Lord, we we want to. I I believe all of us here really want this. We want to present ourselves to you obediently, faithfully, loyally, because we know you love us and you've bought us and, and you're a good and faithful king. Oh, would you help us? Would you? I pray for my brothers and sisters for my own life too. Lord, that, that in the next, in the very next moment of temptation, when sin's calling out to us, Lord, would you help us in that moment to remember what we've seen to remember Christ. And would you give us the power to deny ungodliness and to live righteously. In Jesus' name we ask this. Amen.